Welcome to the Life Science and Marketing Podcast, where we discuss marketing and career insights and tips with leading experts from across the globe. Let's join our host, Paul Avery, CEO of Biostrata, as he chats with our next Life Science Marketing guest. Hi, everyone. This week, I am joined by Regis Grenier, who's been an industry friend of mine for a long time. Regis has 25 years of experience in sales and marketing for scientific companies, including Titian Software and Biorad. This experience includes deep understanding of the unique challenges and opportunities in marketing to scientific and research communities. These days, Regis is now embarking on his latest adventure, offering marketing strategy and implementation as a consultant serving software companies working in scientific and technical areas. Regis, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Paul. Well, thank you for inviting me, and uh, I'm very glad to be here. Well, the pleasure is ours, and I know the audience will really benefit from it. And, um, and from that, let's, let's help them get to know you a little bit better, Regis. Tell us mm -hmm. a little bit about your personal story and how you got into life science marketing and sales. Okay, sure. So I've always been interested in science, and um, my background is business, uh, so uh, I'm not a scientist. Uh, however, I've been interested in science for years. Um, I read articles in the New Scientist every day to make my, my, my day uh, valuable. Uh, and I also um, was fortunate to start early um, as, a, as, a, as a sales representative years and years and years ago in France uh, for a company called Merieux. Uh, then I moved to the um, to the UK and worked for a company called Byrad, uh, and Byrad for about sixteen years, um, for working for the informatics division, and I was in charge of sales and marketing uh, for uh, the whole world basically, except Japan. And then I moved to Titian more recently, and I uh, stayed about um, six and a half years at Titian, uh, in charge of marketing only. Uh, so yes, that's uh, a short summary of my uh, my background. Oh, I love it. What do you um, what do you love most about that role working in sales and marketing, or the roles you've had? What really what's got you up in the morning? So really, is to think about um, strategy and implementing. So to look at the big picture, uh, to have a kind of I would say a holistic uh, vision of things and see uh, you know see things in their in their globality. And, and measure results. Always keep an eye on the data. So to think about stuff, implementing um, the strategy uh, and really, really um, uh, measuring on a daily basis the results um, to get to a point where we, we, we you know, participate to the, to the growth of, the, of, of those companies. That's what's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, well, you've been on, you've played the marketing and the sales role. So a proper Correct. growth driver but it is great that marketing plays such a fantastic role in enabling company growth especially these days in the in the times of inbound marketing and things like that but um what about outside of work Regis what do you do outside of work to make you smile uh so I have a kind of a lot of activities uh, well uh, the kids can be busy of course but uh sports activities and also uh, I'm overlooking a project of um, reforesting in um, Scotland, in, at the, in the west of Inverness, um, where part of my family is. So that's a, a, a totally different type of project, but I'm very interested in environmental issues. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I'm trying to diverse my my area of interest and and um, and uh, yeah, have different different things to do uh, that interest me um, other than science. Wow! Tell me a bit more about the reforesting project. That sounds really interesting. How did you get into that? Well, it's basically an opportunity uh, to basically um, uh, replant an area of Scotland that is going to be. There is a massive project going on over there with um, several players. I'm a small player, uh, but we are working on a piece of land and uh, trying to participate to that, you know, at our small level. Uh, and uh, yes, because I think this is uh, critical for the future. Uh, if you know the history of Scotland, there's, there's been different stages in the deforesting uh, for many different reasons. And now there is a, a movement uh, to reforest, um, rewild, and working with the local community, the farmers, to make sure we don't do things in our little corner, but work with them. So that's very interesting. Yep. That's amazing. I've known you for a number of years. I had no idea about that. And that's why I love this podcast. Um, Okay, let's move from um, trees to something else in the natural world, at least. That's my attempt at a segue. Let's talk about science because you worked in, I know you mentioned you don't have a science background, but you've worked in science for a number of years now. So I was wondering, what's been the most interesting product or project that you've worked on from a science perspective and sort of what made it stand out to you? So purely science, uh, I would say the Bayrad experience for the informatics division of Bayrad was the, the, um, probably the, yeah, the, the, the most stimulating, I would say. Uh, the reason is that we were in, in the, in the area of analytical chemistry. So identifying compounds, identifying, you know, what is in material at mole- molecular level. And it was very interesting because, uh, spectroscopy. So it was infrared NMR, uh, MS spectro- spectrometry, uh, spectroscopy, sorry. Uh, and the interest was we were touching a lot of different industries because, uh, you know, you study material for the aerospace industry, automotive industry, paint, uh, defense, uh, environmental industry. So m- many different types of industry were impacted by this type of product. And, um, you know, we expanded the product, um, the, you know, it's basically, um, uh, you know, spectral um, identification of unknown compounds uh, to many, many different types of industries. And I think it was fascinating. I visited a lot of labs and, um, and, and, you know, scientists like to exchange also to tell about what they're doing. And I was spending a lot of time listening and then, uh, and then of course, offering uh, products to help them uh, um, to accelerate their research. So it was fascinating. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. That does sound fascinating. Were there any particular scientific stories or applications that you that particularly stick out when you're in the lab and thinking oh wow i really love what you're going to be doing with our kit yeah i mean um yeah the areas the aerospace was particularly fascinating because it's obviously extremely critical to get uh your materials right when you work in the in those industries so you you feel a part of very uh, of a very important process when you, when you are in this kind of, uh, working for this kind of industry. Uh, and then I would say addition, totally different, more, I would say, uh, you know, technology rather than science, uh, helping, uh, um, or being part of the workflow that participates to the development of, of, uh, medicine of, you know, making science progressing, being part of that process. Yeah. Was also, uh, you know, uh, extremely interesting. Um, so yes, a bit t- two different examples, but you know, 
uh, in both cases, extremely stimulating um, to work in those environments. Yeah, I love it. Is there any particular area of science that you're finding most interesting at the moment or when you're thinking forward to some of the consultancy projects you're going to work on? Is there any particular science, area of science you'd love to get your teeth into? Well, I think uh, life science is, is really an enormous industry with different sectors that you can work on. And they're all kind of, I mean, they're all part of a chain and they're all interesting. I mean, uh, at Titian, we were working a lot on um, automation integration with the software and or integration between software and, uh, and, and, and software with hardware, your uh, big stores, um, automated, semi-automated systems. And yes, so this sector really interests me. Uh, so I hope I'm going to, uh, to, to stay in it and keep working in this, uh, in this era, uh, in my consultancy projects. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. With that in mind, then let's maybe look a little bit more at the, some of the cool stuff that you've done in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, start quite big picture. Let's say, uh, I don't know what's been the most, what's the, what would be the best professional lesson or tip that you've learned so far that you would share with our listeners? Well, there is a, there was a lot of lessons because it's a, it's a, a, progressing, uh, you know, saying, and, uh, for me, what's important in marketing particularly is to provide value, uh, to the scientist or the technician or the engineer, because a marketing can be, um, kind of annoying in a way. I mean, it's funny to say that from a, from a marketer point of view, but, uh, from the receiver point of view, that's, I think we need to always think, um, uh, marketing, especially in niche, um, uh, you know, scientific, um, uh, technical area. Am I delivering value? This is, this is always my obsession. And that's what's challenged me all the time. What keep me, uh, you know, uh, you know, make me wake up in the morning is what am I going to produce today to interest those people? And, you know, and then the second phase, which is obviously selling products comes an, more naturally and less aggressively if you all, you know, always interest your, um, your receiver with a very interesting piece of content, something where they're going to learn something about a new technology. Uh, that I think this is, this is what, what really, you know, fascinate me in, in uh, marketing these days is to be able to, to do that. Yeah, I really agree. I remember when I left the lab and I moved into marketing communications and I have to admit when I was a scientist, I misunderstood the word marketing and advertising and I thought they were the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, I thought advertising was people trying to sell me things I didn't really want. But it's only when you get into the discipline of marketing, isn't it, Regis, that you really understand what it really is, which is connecting people with the information and tools that they need to do whatever it is that they're trying to do and if you get that marriage right you're adding lots of value from that first touch point because hopefully you're educating and inspiring people in terms of what they can do and then of course if your your software or your tool or your service is the right fit for that then fantastic but but yeah it's not really about pushing product onto people and aggressively no. selling as you said right it's about adding value from the outset i love that i love that way of looking at things and do you think that's a, a major challenge then for life science marketers today? Like how to continue to add value in our, in our marketing efforts? Definitely. 
Definitely. I mean, it's a constant battle because the, the ocean of information that people have access to is huge. You know, so uh, people have different ways of looking for information. You know, they either, well, mo most of the time, I think they, 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 they use the internet, you know, these days. So they need to find what they're looking for. Uh, and uh, not find a little bit of what they, they're looking for. And then a sales guy calls them straight away after that. So I think, um, and sometimes they don't want sales to contact them straight away. They want to have time to think about what they've been reading. So uh, for me, um, it, it's, a, it's a huge challenge. Um, it's almost, uh, if I push it a little bit, to create marketing that is actually not looking like marketing. <laughs> It's content, it's a value. Uh, so my job is to identify, um, the, the, you know, the, 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 you know, pain points, you know, people, what did they want to know? What they search for a, you know, software solution for whatever it is. And when they find it, and there are, you know, as well as me, techniques to make sure they find it, uh, it's, they're not disappointed by it. They're not saying, right, okay, I need to contact somebody else. No, I want on my own, in my own time, be able to, to gather some good level of technical information and create it by people who know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, I think, what makes the difference, in my opinion, between good marketing and, you know, the everyday marketing that potentially can annoy people. Oh, I agree. I remember we both got passionate about inbound marketing quite early on in its development. And we had a number of discussions about creating content that was so good, people would be willing to pay for it. Right. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. being the aim of, of a marketer, especially when creating content. And I can't help. I look, I look around many industries and probably the life sciences included and the explosion of content marketing over the last five, six, seven years. I wonder if we've forgotten that a bit, right? There's a lot of same, same content, a lot of me too content, yes. all kind of saying the same types of things in the scrabble to produce more stuff. Do you feel that maybe we've lost that really unique, true value part to our content marketing efforts? Yes. I mean, it's because of competition and pressure. You know, all companies have a, have a, have a goal. They need to grow. And, um, and there are a lot of movement in the industry. You know, um, and and, and uh, people are under pressure to create results quickly. Uh, I think it's better to work in the mid to long term, so to to leave the time to your uh, audience to understand what is it that you're doing. So of course there are always sh short term targets, that's normal. But if you don't work on the mid to long term as well, then you compromise uh, the, the the next year or, or the two years or three years. Uh, after your, your, your first um, uh, marketing action. So I think it's, it's uh, very important to think very deeply about uh, what you write. Make sure it's quality checked by people knowing what they're talking about from the industry and written by people from the industry, not by marketers. Marketers are making, making it look pretty. Okay, that's fine. And marketers using technique to make sure this content uh, this content is is found, you know, uh, but uh, I think the challenge is the value, and I'm obsessed by it, of the content. Um, and you mentioned, you said people will be ready to pay for it. Um, if people are already ready to enter 
uh, a bit of their details to download something, you cannot disappoint them because they already, um, you know, make this effort saying, all right, okay, if I enter my details, I know what that means, right? Uh, somebody, <laughs> somebody is going to, going to contact me. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's only a small part of the job. When they download this content, they need to be satisfied by the content, you know, the, 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 the value proposition. And it's not about product. It's about the solution to problems. You know, how do we address, uh, how do we know, uh, first of all, the problems before solving a problem, you need to be aware of the problems. Why do we know it? We've been in, we, we, we've been doing it. We observed it and here are the solutions. And so, uh, the person already knows, um, most of the information already. And then, you know, eventually somebody contact them. Of course, that's normal. That's so, business. With that in mind, where do you sit on the gating or not gating of content <laughs> in terms of having it behind forms? What are your thoughts? Okay. So this one is always the challenge. So, um, the, the way I did it so far is to give an introduction, making sure on the content that we produced, um, the value is clear. But I, I, I don't give the full content. So I, yeah, I gate, uh, materials. Um, I'm a bit advocate of gating because if you're confident enough that the value that you're providing is high, uh, you don't disappoint when the, the person is going to enter their detail because they say, Oh God, I need to enter my detail. I don't want to do that. But if you get into the habit of not disappointing, um, um uh, those people, they, they know after a while, okay. Version one uh, of this was of this white paper, pretty good stuff. I don't mind to because this is valuable. So it's a question of confidence. You know, if you're confident in your content, uh, you can gate it. And because this content also has uh, demanded a lot, and I know by experience because we are, we are extremely demanding in terms of the content um, value proposition. It takes a huge amount of work. We're not producing an app not. Or, uh, you know, case studies, we, we think about it deeply and uh, white papers, even, you know, bigger type of documentation. So there is a lot of value behind it. There's a lot of work. So, you know, the only thing we ask in exchange is that could you please provide your details? And then at some point we'll contact you. Uh, but, you know, I'm always open to, uh, to those conversations with people saying you should not gate. You should leave everything, <laughs> uh, because um, maybe I'm missing something, but my, you know, my preference is, yeah, confidence in the value. Okay. In exchange, we want to know you. I think you can make the argument both ways on that one, which is what makes it such a fascinating conversation topic. And I think the point that you make about providing exceptional value and having mm -hmm. confidence in that value and even proving that value by providing a bit of, um, content up front, as you mentioned, I think, I think you're creating a, a value exchange with the, with the prospect that hopefully they don't feel shortchanged by. And I think you said a bit earlier in the conversation, and I know I've experienced this, and I suspect many people have, filling in your email address for something you thought was going to be awesome, but was actually a real disappointment, like lack of depth, lack of insight, exactly. all these other things. But if you build, if you look at it the other way, as you describe, Regis, and you build trust in your brand as being a source of that information, people want to give their email address because when you've got something new to send them, they'll feel like they probably want it. 
Right. They want you to email it to them because you've already proven that you deliver value. Absolutely. And people understand we're a business. So if the value is high, you don't disappoint them. They understand that the reason why we ask the details is because at some point we'll contact them. They know we're a business anyway. So I think the balance is right if 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 you're confident in your value. Okay. What about maybe on this tap, but maybe in a completely different area of marketing? What's been your favorite marketing campaign or strategy that you've implemented so far and why? So in terms of strategy, the, the most interesting, I would say, was um, my last experience with Titian Software. And the reason is because we really started from scratch. There was a very limited marketing when we, we started uh, about six and a half years ago. And so when you have to build something, it's always um, intellectually uh, stimulating. And also the quality of the people within this organization was so high I said, well, I have, I have all the brains that I need here. I'm going to beat, we're going to beat some content that is absolutely f- fabulous. So it took a while because people have a lot of, um, other uh, functions, you know, product managers, uh, uh project manager, et cetera, uh, within such organizations. So the challenge is a, is a human challenge, convince them. Uh, so it, it was interesting because you have to explain that to a lot of people who are not familiar with marketing, what marketing is. And what the value of marketing is inside the organization before you produce something for people outside the organization. So it, it, it is a kind of, uh, yeah, discussions. Those discussions were very interesting. It took a, a certain amount of time and to discover what an organization can do technically, but not known, not known from most of the world except few customers. Fascinating because you discover. Um, amazing technology that is hidden because the marketing has not been triggered yet. So the marketing is here to unleash those secrets, you know, uh, this, this, this is, uh, you know, technology that is here to serve the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, so yeah, that was in terms of strategy, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, and also the implementing of this. So not only to think about what you need to do, but implementing it, I thought was, um, extremely stimulating. Uh, and then to measure, I go back to that, measure the results of it. You know, the data telling you, yes, this is successful. Yes, people, your, your, your brand is growing. Uh, people trust you. Uh, you build this brand awareness. You, you, you via the content of, of uh, you know, based on a group of people really knowing the pharmaceutical industry. And you extract that from their brain, from their knowledge, from their past, uh, because most people have worked in many, many years, you know, in this organization, pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and it's great. Yeah. You see the amount of, uh, you go to a trade show and people tell you, I read that uh, white paper, pretty good stuff. And that's, that's really, really nice to hear things like that. And I heard it many times. So yeah, that was from a, from a, from a, you know, strategy point of view, you know, uh, the most rewarding after specific campaigns. I, I, I would say that the one I enjoy the most, what I enjoy, I mean, it's, it's a mix. You need to, you know, you know, in marketing, you need to do many, many different things. Marketing is complex these days, you know, uh, you need to do many, many things right. Um, and, and people choose their own channel of, you know, uh, you know, uh, some people go to treacherous, some people to, 
go to LinkedIn, some people go to uh, podca uh, podcasts or, or, or blogs, uh, read blogs. Uh, some people like articles, uh, you know, it's, it's a different way to, uh, and, but a lot of people watch videos. So uh, what was really interesting is the case studies. So when you think about the content, another super valuable content is the real case scenario. So one of your customer is willing to explain the case uh, in detail uh, and explain what they are doing, why they are doing it. They don't need to talk about a product. It's absolutely fine. It's Rolex. Um, and that I, I, I thought was extremely valuable and successful because you, you have in front of you people from, you know, the large pharmaceutical companies or biotechs and, um, academic institutions talking to their peers. And that's, I really enjoy that. It's not easy to get done. Because in a big pharma in particular, you need a lot of authorization to make sure uh, they don't give the impression they endorse too much, you know, a, a business versus another business. But there are a way to get that uh, into an interesting content uh, that is not a marketing, uh, pure marketing exercise where, oh yeah, their product is great. I love it. Da, 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 da. It's talk, uh, talk about your research. That's what we want to know. So, and it's within the frame of, you know, of course, uh, the company that is uh, uh, selling products, but it's not uh, pushy in a way that, you know, people talk about our products all the time. They just talk about themselves, basically, their challenges and projects. So there's so many fascinating things to unpick in that. And I, I think when we think about marketing, it's very easy to think in terms of tactics and channels quite quickly, but you highlighted a couple of challenges that I think many of us face but we don't speak about very often, which is how to get internal buy-in for the marketing projects that we're trying to run. And then in this case, how to get customer buy-in to be part of case studies, which from the conversations I have in the industry, both of which are really tough. So what I'd love to know, we're doing a two-part three, just number one, if, if you're dealing with someone that's a subject matter expert or a technical person, you're trying to get them to buy into what we're trying to do in marketing, how, how, how did you do that? How can you do that? It's a very good question. So uh, what's important is to make sure it's not only the marketing people talking to these people. Uh, these people, uh, our customers, have developed a trusting relationship uh, with the company because, of course, if they are willing to talk, uh, or, or I guess they, they, by definition, they like us, right? Uh, so you need to involve um, other technical people, part of the company, whatever it's a product manager. So what we did, uh, that's what we did in my previous experience, to so make sure we have a two-way conversation and we have time. We have time, never rush people because sometimes you, we have a, a, you know, as well as the big conferences like SLS coming and all that. Oh, we want my case studies, you know, no rush. It's their decision to uh, talk about what they're doing in the time frame they choose. So never pressurize them, but having this two-way conversation where actually the technical people even talk to them more than you do. So me, I'm overlooking, I'm, I'm speaking with uh, some technical people and say, look, could you, could you have a chat and ask them? Uh, we also use uh, the user group meetings. You know, user group meetings are very uh, interesting because you can have those one-to-one -one conversations with people and you have lunches and then you can explain the, what, what the case study is all about. And when they understand it's about them, and not about us. Well, it's a bit about us, but 
in a soft, um, you know, non-aggressive way, uh, they, 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 some of them like it. So I'm not saying everybody would get authorization to do it, especially in the pharma. But for example, CROs are more than happen to promote themselves. Uh, uh, smaller biotechs uh, also looking for investors, and so there is also sometimes a common interest. And in the in, in the academia, um, people like to talk about their research, you know. Uh, so those are the main. And then sometimes we get a pharma as well uh, if, if they feel comfortable with it. But there is no pressure. It's a it's a you know gradual conversation um, with people they trust, not only. I'm not saying they don't trust the marketing people, but not only with marketing people. Yeah, I love that. There's, I think there's loads of pearls of wisdom in there, Regis, but definitely leaning into people who've already got relationships with the exactly. people you're trying to work with, and then you've got some exactly. trust built in. I love the don't rush it aspect mm -hmm. because I haven't really thought about it before, but hearing you say it, when you rush people, you just rush them to a no answer, right? Because you're like, come on, I need this. And they just go, oh, no, it's on the too hard pile now because you're hassling me and rushing me. And I think that's a really good bit of advice as well. There can be another issue is people who say yes, but they, they really think about it. And then six months later, you still have nothing. Uh, so uh, when I say not rushing, it's also even the yes people because they have also other, they have a lot of work to do. They have their hierarchy, they have their legal people. It's not that easy. So you, you add up another workload on top of the, so, um, so for example, if you want case study for SLS or, you know, you, you, you start to prepare one year before you, and you start to talk to people gradually uh, and sometimes being a bit opportunistic if uh, you feel that one of your customers is ready. Uh, so that, I think that's the best way to, to, to produce this. I love it. Have you got any other sort of top tips for marketers based on your career so far that you'd pass on? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, marketers, you know, they all, uh, I think, you know, they know uh, what they are doing. I mean, for my, um, I mean, and in, in the, the segment of science and uh, life science in particular, um, where a lot of software are used is to make sure you understand, um, the value of the product you, you want to promote. So, uh, and what I mean by that is to really understand deeply the market. Uh, so it seems, uh, you know, obvious, but I think to make the effort, uh, especially if you're a marketer uh, interested in different type of markets, uh, the first step is to understand the market and what value the product you're representing. Is it overvalued? Because, you know, when you're in a company, you're the best on about everything. You know, we're, we're auto-centered around our product. We think, I mean, why are more people buying this product? It's genius. But no. No, first, you need to understand the value. So is this product here to take uh, a share of the market or the big share of the cake? And then where you're clear about the value of the product you're presenting, even if people say it's the best in everything, when you have made your opinion on that, then you adapt your marketing to it and you make sure uh, the targets that you want are realistic uh, because software always evolves. So if you're not ready now, you will be ready in six months. And in one year, you might have the leader because you get always those feedback from the market. And uh, marketing is always also always here for that as well. Sense the market, uh, look at the market, study the market, and feed that back to the product people to make sure that if you're not ready on day one or almost ready, but 
you know, still have uh, your ear for a share of the of the market. You're ready to take the leadership of that market in one year, two years, three years, realistically. So I think that's uh, the advice is to be realistic about what you say and not making any claims, uh, uh, you know, because again, scientists, they will know straight away if you exaggerated your claim. So always be in line with what the market wants and what you can offer realistically to the market. Yeah, I think that's a great tip. A marketing term is unique selling points, but really mm -hmm. the pursuit of defensible, credible, unique selling points is hard. I see a lot of companies mm -hmm. defining what they think are unique selling points are actually just selling points. But as you say, you can't go overboard in trying to lean into something that you're jazzing up or hyping up too much because scientists will call foul on anything that they don't see as credible reasonably quickly because they're a skeptical information-driven buying group. So yeah, diving deep into understanding the market. Exactly. Is there any sort of particular tips, tricks, or tools or approaches that you've used in the past to, to achieve that, get under the skin of the market? Yeah, so me, what, what I use is actually quite simple. Is It was to talk with the people inside the company uh, and understand. Uh, so I was mentioning earlier uh, secrets, you know, you know I, and for uh, with my life experience, it was the the huge potential of the software to integrate with other systems. So that was the USP, but never used in marketing before. It was just a fact that uh, the organization was in, making sure that the software could integrate with hardware systems. And, you know, customers want integrated systems. You know, they don't want to have to play with, you know, many systems. And I, when I, so I learned that when I spoke internally with all our technicians. So the tip I have is don't be separated from the, from the, you know, engineers, technicians, scientists. Be part of a team with them. You know, often the marketing is separated somewhere and never talk to the guys. They do the, what they have to do. But if you talk to those guys, they have a lot to say. You know, they have a lot to say. And they told me very early in my life's experience, yeah, we integrate with, but, and I say, ask them, where is it on your website? I, I don't see anything. How do people know? Well, we, we just let them know when we talk with them. I said, well, okay. So that was a fantastic challenge, you know, and then we, we display all the examples of integrations. We talk with our partners. So the double advantage of doing that, then you, you get closer relationship with your partners as well. And you know, as well as me, because you've been in marketing a long time that you can refer all leads. You can exchange with those partners and beat up some uh, you know, co-marketing. So it's a double advantage. Not only you unleash uh, the USP, you show it, uh, which was not done before, by talking internally, learning. You need to you want to learn. You need to like, that's why you need to like science and technology. Otherwise, you're separated. Uh, and then when you've done that, you activate it. You start to, um, to, to, to talk to these par partners. Partners say, oh, yeah, great idea. I want to be on your website. I said, well, you have, you have to put us on your website too. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. And then you create this volume, more volume, uh, you know, traffic volume, uh, referral leads, uh, exchange between, um, you know, co-marketing activities. Uh, so that would be my, my advice, you know, be interested in the technology, be interested in the science uh, and, 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 and discover what are the real 
um, USPs rather than elaborating some kind of things that don't exist really. Yeah, I love that. I, I often get asked, do you have to have a strong science background to work in life science marketing? And of course, I think it can help, but it's certainly not necessary as long as you've got that passion you describe, Regis, for yes. science and technology and you want to learn about it. Um, then I think you've got the power. I also love the the concept of um, having the conversations. So obviously you talked about partners and you talked about internally, but I've also seen you many over many years running at different trade shows, right? You're a marketer mm -hmm. who gets out the trade shows and also speaks to the customers and partners on the trade show floor, gathering that customer intel in person as well. And I can imagine when you get all that data, what customers are saying, partners are saying, what internal specialists are saying, and you put it all in one mind, in this case, yours, there's a lot of powerful information there that's all filtering in together and, and generating a lot of insights, I can imagine. Correct. Absolutely. Trade shows are only a, a part of the marketing mix these days. Um, and in my opinion, not even the biggest part. It's, 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 it's just an element of it. But there is definitely an advantage because, you know, as you know, these days, we had many years where we are not talking to each other, except via, via screen. Um, it's important to meet people face to face because they, t they tell you much more. They tell you much more than uh, via a screen. So, yes, trade shows, definitely. Uh, but Keep the value of trade show where, where it should be. Not to overvalue it, but, but keep the value. But I think UGMs as well. Also, it's good for a marketer to go with a sales representative to go visit a customer once in a while. Go, go out, you know, uh, have a, you know, a meeting and uh, you, you sit in the room, you listen. Um, I've done that many times. I learned a lot of things, a lot of things, especially about the problems where people were, you know, those pain points I was mentioning earlier. When you're in front of them, they tell you what, what they are. You know, and can your software, your software resolve those problems? Show me. So it's good to be here as well in th on those visits. Some visits, of course, not all of them. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think there's so many insights to glean from there and so many insights to glean from this podcast episode, Regis. Thank you so much for your time. I really You're appreciate you uh, coming on. If people wanted to get in touch with you to learn more and ask you questions or perhaps find out about this uh, new consultancy service you're offering what's the best way for them to get in touch with you so linkedin uh of course so linkedin um it's uh, jean-regis grenier so g-e-a-n-r-e-g-i-s uh, grenier g-r-e-n-i-r you find me easily i think and then um, uh, my email address as well i don't know if you want me to uh, to give it uh, now whatever's but, best for you i, yeah, I think it's, we, uh, i think people can find you on linkedin and send you a message yeah. that way and i'm um, more than happy to receive emails as well it's not a problem Good stuff. Uh, yeah, it's Regis1000, uh, so R-E-G-I-S-1000 at hotmail.co.uk. Perfect stuff. Well, all that remains is for me to thank you again. It's been absolutely brilliant, and I'm sure I will speak to you soon. Thank you, Regis. You're very welcome. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Life Science and Marketing Podcast. For your regular dose of cutting-edge life science marketing insights, don't forget to subscribe. Join us again in two weeks for another engaging expert discussion.